The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in September 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome Carrie Butler. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Carrie, currently starring in Xanadu in the two roles of Kyra and Clio. Did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, Kira. Kira and Clio. Clio, yeah. Clio, I remember. Kira. Yeah. Kira yeah. and Clio in Xanadu. Also, previously on Broadway is Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Penny Pingleton, the original Penny Pingleton in uh, the Broadway version of Hairspray. Other Broadway credits including Belle in Beauty and the Beast, Eponine in La Miz, Ms. Jones in Blood Brothers, Off-Broadway in Bat Boy the Musical, The I-Word, Prodigal, and The Folsom Head. And now, as I said, in Xanadu. That's got to be a fun show to do. You spend most of it on roller skates, pretty in pink, and on little white (laughs) white and pink roller skates. Mm -hmm. You probably get a lot of questions asked about your roller skating. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't um, I didn't skate before I was in the show. You know, I would just be, I would just skate, like, uh, at birthday parties, but <laughs> you know, you, when I was but 10. But you skated. I, well, I hadn't skated in years. Uh-huh. So I skated when I was little, but not – I couldn't do any tricks at all, and I, I couldn't even go backwards. I didn't even know how to stop. And <laughs> so before we started uh, rehearsals, I went into lessons. They gave me maybe three hours a week for about a month, which isn't really that much – for someone who skates the entire time, entire show, um, and during my lessons, you know, I was doing you know arabesque, and so I learned all these like fancy tricks. And then we went into rehearsals, and I started freaking out because I didn't know how to do like general blocking. We hadn't covered just you know like going around a person. And so at the end of, you know, every day I'd be crying, being like, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? I can't even do the blocking the director is telling me, let alone do anything else. And so it's uh, it's been very challenging. Well, as I said, you do play the dual role of Kira uh-huh. and Clio, a Greek muse who uh, comes to Venice, but the other Venice, the one in California, mm-hmm. Venice yes. Beach, and uh, has, well, you, you tell the story because uh, the audience may not have seen the mm-hmm. movie of Xanadu. Very well, few people Yeah, the did. movie of Xanadu is basically that a, um, a god, the goddesses come down to, or muse comes down to earth to inspire an artist. And they didn't go into the Greek aspect of that at all in the movie. And so in the show, Douglas Carter Bean, our writer, um, he decided to explore that more. So in the play, it has a lot of Greek aspects. My nine um, sisters are involved. And so uh, those people who know mythology will get a kick out of, like, the twists on Greek mythology. I had my niece come to see the show who's really smart. She was like, I was really glad that they'd strayed true to the Greek mythology. I was like, oh, okay, Margo. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, but so anyway, all the sisters are there to um, inspire art and, we think, to help me in my mission. But then I have two evil sisters who kind of add the challenges to the show. And the whole show is very tongue-in-cheek, very camp. Yeah. And fun. Yeah. And it's in a small theater. The Helen Hayes is Mm -hmm. just under 600 seats, so it's a very intimate sort of production. It's very small, yeah. I'd read that you had been involved in some of the very early workshops of the show, and then other actresses were involved in the interim. I'm wondering how the show changed over the, you know, in the time, kind of the the two ends of it that you were a part of. I did the first reading, and... um, in that reading, uh, it was still the same basic thing with the Greek, all the Greek sisters and everything, but there was a lot more of 80 references where um, – I'm trying to think of some funny ones. Uh, I think um, 
someone came to President Reagan was in it or and Nancy Reagan was in it and um, and so all of these like world events they kind of showed all these world events how the different muses inspired all of these like huge world events and it was funny but it sort of took it went off in too many tangents and it was too confusing for the audience so then they focused way more on the love story between Kira and um, Sunny and stripped a lot of it away so it used to be um two acts when I first did it. And uh, so, yeah, it was really interesting to see how much it changed. And they definitely changed for the better. But it was really funny the first time I did it, too. Then how did you go from the workshop into the current production? What was that whole well, procedure? I, so I had done the first reading, and um, then I was doing Opposite of Sex when they were doing in uh, San Francisco when they were doing the second reading, so I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then Jane Krakowski did the, the next reading, and then... Uh, I think there was one other reading after that, and, you know, clearly Jane Krakowski, like, can skate. So <laughs> she had that, like, way over me. That was, that was definitely on her resume. Yeah, that, yeah, that was skating experience. That was definitely, like, way in her favor over me. And so, you know, she had done the last readings, and so they offered it to her. And then um, she was doing 30 Rock and, you know, turned down the show for whatever reason. And then they um, offered it to me. And it was so fast because I think that they thought she was going to be doing it for a long time. And then it, so then when they finally offered it to me, it was like, and you need to decide today. And, you know, you're going into rehearsal right away. Wow. <laughs> and so it was pretty intense. And how much, jumping right into rehearsal, how much were you trying to channel Olivia Newton-John? Certainly many people have commented on it's remarkable how much you sound like the recordings when you're singing. Um, how much of it was just do your own thing? Well, uh, I loved Olivia Newton-John growing up, and I used to sing all of those songs. I used to put on shows in my backyard, and I would do all of these songs in my backyard. And, you know, when you're growing up... Different plot line, presumably? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mine was just a review. It was an Olivia Newton-John review. Maybe (laughs) Olivia Newton-John and Donna Summer's review (laughs) with choreography. Um, And, you know, when you're growing up, you're sort of... I think that you learn to sing based on the people who you idolize. And so, you know, I, I learned to sing listening to her and to Andrew McArdle from Annie and Donna Summers. So when I got the show, I didn't go back and listen. When I did the first reading, I didn't go back and listen to her at all. I just thought I'm going to tap into what I did when I was a kid. And since getting the show now, I did try and do some... I listened to the music again, and I thought, oh, I don't sound like her really as much as I thought I did is more like a memory of mine. So then I added some of the little breathy things that she does. But other than that, I'm really making a lot of the singing my own. I just do like a little bit, little Olivia Newton-John shout outs. And I think that my voice just sounds like hers a little bit naturally because I tried to sound like her when I was little. Hmm. In terms of acting, I didn't try and do anything like her. I I love her, but I think the show is so far from the movie that I didn't really think people were going to compare me to her in that way. Now, I've, I've seen photos of you and she together, like an opening night. Yeah. What was her reaction to your impression of her? Oh, my gosh. She <laughs> was the best audience member ever. As soon as the show started, she was laughing hysterically at all the Australian jokes. She was going crazy. Like, <laughs> it was so nice because that was one of the only times I was nervous doing the show. Because I didn't want her to think I was making fun of her, you know, when really, like, I love her. 
Um, and so she couldn't have been nicer. And then I didn't get to meet her. I, she came backstage and, you know, said how great it was. And she she said, oh, you even got my body down. And, you know, clearly I wasn't trying to go for that because I didn't even know what her body type was. Clearly we're both just like nerdy and geeky and <laughs> just had that in our body language. Um, but so she couldn't have been nicer. And then I wanted to get stuff signed by her at the cast party. And my hair and makeup person took too long and I missed her. I went to the party and she was gone already. Oh. And so my sister was the only one who got a picture with Livy Newton-John oh. at the party. You commented that she was reacting immediately to things in the show. And because the film has developed such a cult following over the years, do you find you have two audiences? The people who know the movie and are responding to the show because of their knowledge and then the people who are just coming to see a new musical called Xanadu? Definitely. Um, Wednesday matinees, no one knows the movie. <laughs> it's all people. And it's, so it's it's from night to night, I can tell you what the reaction is going to be on certain lines because I know Thursday night, all movie fans. So they start screening. As soon as I start singing magic, have to, you know, they start screaming. And um, so it's interesting. But by the end, everyone loves it. But getting there is a different journey uh, depending on whether they know it or not. <laughs> well, I can understand Wednesday matinees maybe being different, but why is Thursday movie fan night? I don't know, but that's people, just people what we found. People don't go to movies on Thursday? <laughs> I don't know. Thursday night in the, our show, in no, our no. audience is, is no, no, just no, when... No, no, I'm saying that, that they don't go to movies on Thursday. They oh. go, to, go to your show on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, I don't know of, why. Maybe it's a good, like, part. people think, like, party and, you know, and so <laughs> a lot of the Xanadu fans, I don't I don't know. Who knows? We have Fanadus. That's what they call themselves. So maybe they get online and are like, let's go Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. It's well known that during your previews, the original leading actor uh, hurt himself mm-hmm. during the show. And you had, so you had a period in which you started playing opposite one actor. Mm-hmm. Then you had two alternating understudies who were covering the role. Yep. And then Cheyenne Jackson came in and opened the show. What's the experience of playing opposite four different leading men, presumably in the course of about three weeks? Um, yeah. Uh, well, it helped me with our role because, um, you know, then I was more of a muse. I had to, like, inspire these people and, you know, just be like, you're going to be great. You know, it keeps hanging in there. And, you know, and I had to, you know, and, and each one of them were completely different. And so, you know, that helped me more with my character, too, because it helped me find things and it helped me, you know, stay on my toes with the different people. Um, But, uh, you know, definitely having um, James hurt himself was, you know, really stressful and hard. And, um, you know, and then we were lucky that we got Cheyenne in so fast. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, part of it, parts of it have been really challenging, and then parts of it have been really helpful with my character. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that that you found different things because playing opposite different people, was yeah, it that different things worked and didn't work with each of them, and you, you yeah, retained? yeah. I mean, some people played it really um, low key, didn't do anything, and then that made me think, oh wow, maybe I'm pushing too hard in some areas. You know, maybe if I take stuff back, then you know it'll get an even bigger response. Hmm. And working on the show throughout, you know, when John mentioned the show has a certain camp quality, you know, how much do you play the humor? How much do you try to play something approaching reality? What was what was the style that that everyone was going for with the show? Um, Well, I definitely try and play everything real. I mean, I approach it like I'm doing Shakespeare because, you know, the muse part is 
I mean, it's it's a really hard show to maintain, to be honest with you, because it's not um, norm. It's not the way I would normally speak. So, um, you know, you have my as as the um, as as the muse Clio. Um, you know, I say all this like highfalutin <laughs> dialogue that just wouldn't come out of my mouth, and um, so so I had to come with something underneath. I had to figure out what I'm saying underneath those things to make it real for myself. And I play everything um, real because otherwise the show won't work. You won't care about these characters if, if I'm not really falling in love with um, Sonny. You know, it, it's not it's not funny unless you really play it for real. And, and, the, and the entire cast basically plays it straight, so to speak. They play it for real yeah. as opposed to doing it with a wink and a tongue-in-cheek, which I think, as you say, does make it funnier because right. the audience believes them as people. Yeah, yeah, because or, you know, because I, I never wanted it to be just this show. I mean, it is this show that's hilarious, but I also wanted to elevate it a little bit and you know make you care about the characters and you know, it's so funny that you won't really feel my pain when I'm losing Sunny, but you know maybe feel a little bit sad for me. Um, so uh, so yeah, I definitely play it um, for real. Now, Howard mentioned that your your original leading man injured himself early mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Was that intimidating for you then on roller skates the whole show? It has been really intimidating because we lost three people. Three people have broken or fractured legs now in from, the show. From roller skating? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all within, within opening night. Uh, I would say it was two people were out before opening night. Wow. And the last person injured himself before opening night but he stayed in the show and then he didn't and then he had to leave maybe I don't know because he, he was skating on an injured ankle for maybe a few weeks so now all three of them are out of the show but they're all getting better And but yeah I mean I have to I still have to talk to myself all the time and be like okay you know I'm re- still really it's like crazy we have these all these sparkles on our costumes and if one of them comes off on stage that will completely stop you dead in your tracks and so there's it's 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 a really hard show to do because you're constantly um, focusing on oh what's on stage is there anything that can trip me up and while trying to stay in the moment and and stay real um, so that's hard and when all that when the three people injure themselves I was just saying okay Carrie like don't focus on that because if I if you start focusing on that three people injure themselves you're going to injure yourself you know so you just have to like train yourself not to think about that and just stay as safe as you can and you know, stay in the show. And I had read somewhere that early on you were getting different roller skates for different performances. People would change you, not intentionally, but they were trying to be nice to you, giving you Yeah, they weren't changing my skates, but they were changing, like, the position of my stopper Uh or, you know, loosening up my wheels. And, oh, my gosh, yeah, it's crazy how the tiniest little change can completely throw you off balance or just make you feel like you've never skated before. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, I still get nervous and just still, I still like talk to myself, you know, because I'm not the most um, coordinated person in the world. <laughs> when I told everybody I was doing this show, they, were, my friends, were like, "What? You are skating the entire time?" But I am. I have to say, I'm really proud of myself because I feel like if I could do this, I can do anything. <laughs> It's fair to say that as this show was coming in, there was a certain amount of skepticism about mm-hmm. Xanadu the musical, and, and I can't help but assume that you were aware of some of that. 
obviously, once people got to see it, the experience uh, proved to be different than the expectations. But I'm wondering how any of that impacted you going into something where you where, where a show really had to prove itself even more than than the average show might have. Yeah, it didn't really bother me because when I had done the first reading, you know, I was skeptical too because I knew that the movie was um, one of, I guess, the most unsuccessful movies in history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and but then when I did the reading, the show, everyone was hysterical, and I was more, I was just as surprised as everybody else. Um, and so I knew when when I did that reading, and I had friends who'd seen it and were like. Carrie, it's really good. And <laughs> people who I really trusted their opinions. And so, you know, I, th- I just thought, wow, we could be this little sleeper hit, you know, um, knock on wood. But I just thought, you know, the more people talk badly about us, the better for us. Because then, you know, we can only, like, move up from that. <laughs> <laughs> so lowering expectations yeah. may have even helped. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly it's been, you know, it's been a, it's a, been a great surprise because yeah. it certainly it's, it's really gotten a great reception. Well, let's jump back now. We've been talking about your most recent project, and I was fascinated to read that you started your professional career at age three and were forced into involuntary retirement by age five. (laughs) Tell us about how you got started. Um, Well, my mom put me and my sister in commercials to to earn money for college, and like my cousins did it as well. And, um, And I loved doing it, but my mom, you know, she was going back to work and Putting your kid through commercials is like a full-time job for the mother. And plus, she wanted us to be normal. And so I guess maybe she saw some, like, weird things with the kids. I don't know. (laughs) But so she didn't want us to do it anymore. And my sister didn't mind because she didn't care. She didn't want to do it. But I loved doing it. And so then I would beg her to let me be an actor again. Um, And she finally gave in when I was nine. (laughs) And then she – oh, I had it for Annie. Yeah, that's how how I started. And then I did regional – I didn't get – I didn't get it on Broadway, but I did regional productions of what Annie. What kind of stuff were you doing? Oh, so Annie, you said you were Yeah, doing. I played Annie in Brooklyn in regional productions, and um, I have this tape of me. It's so crazy, um, because I'm from Brooklyn, and everyone's like, why don't you have an accent? And I said, I worked really hard not to have one, because you hear this tape, and I'm like, here, Sandy, come here, officer! And I, <laughs> like, I listen to it, I can't even believe that it's me. But not so <laughs> terrible for a production of Annie, come Right, to think right, of it. no, yeah, you're right. Um, and I was nine years old when I did that. Uh, but I did, so I did all these, like, regional things, and then, uh, and then I, my mom let me go back into commercials when I was nine, and I did, so I mostly... When I was a kid, I mostly did commercials. I didn't do any professional theater. I did maybe like little parts on a soap opera and on a few TV shows. Um, but I didn't get on Broadway until after school. And how did you lose your Brooklyn accent? Um, it's really funny. When I went to school, I I would listen to TV and try and sound like the people on TV. And when I went to diction class in school, they were like, you have the strangest accent. And um, I said, oh, that's probably because I made it up. Well, who were you imitating? <laughs> well, I think I was imitating like a bunch of different people, but they were like, it's a mixture of Long Island and a mixture. You you do different of, you know, different vowel sounds for each word that isn't consistent with any particular dialect. So, you know, I invented it my own. But I think... Well, I don't know how I, what it is now. I think it's now even less of an accent. I don't know. <laughs> then how did you get out of Brooklyn? You were doing theater in Brooklyn. You did Annie in Brooklyn. Then yeah. W- where did you go from there? Um, well, I stayed in Brooklyn, um, you know, and I – so my mom would bring me in for all my auditions. And then I went to Ithaca College and um, – Upstate New York. Yep, in upstate New York. And then after that, 
that's I got my first Broadway show. Well, no, first I got um, a European tour of Oklahoma, and you know most kids leave college and they want to tour, tour Europe, and I got paid to do it, so it was <laughs> the best job. But but you were doing it was an English language production. It was in English, and you were touring except around. for Oklahoma, Dinah Felda, Vikingsikinvind. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So we only did the song Oklahoma in German, and it, everything else was in English. You were Ado Annie. I was Ado Annie. Yeah. yeah. And um, the audiences uh, didn't get. They loved it, but you know a lot of the jokes went over their heads. I think. Hmm. Uh, but it was really fun. It was mostly through Germany, and so I got to see all of Germany. And then after that, I got my first Broadway show, Blood Brothers, right after that. Hmm. So I was lucky. And I'd read Blood Brothers you'd seen in London. I and did. really liked it. I loved it. And when I, um, so when I heard it was coming here, you know, I had done nothing, really. Um, and I called my agent. I was like, Blood is coming to Broadway. Um, I have to audition for it. And, you know, they're like, who is this kid? What is she talking about? Like, that she thinks she has to audition for this. And, I'm, and I was like, I'm telling you, I know I can be in it. I saw it already. I know I can do it. And so they ended up getting me an audition. And it ended up being like the final callback I went in for, which, you know, is really unheard of that you actually get to audition for the director of the show, the producers. And I went in and I sang, I just want to be a star from nonsense. And um, one of the producers was like, Carrie, I think you will be. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so then he said, come back this afternoon. And I went back this afternoon in the afternoon and I did the scenes and it went great. And he said, Carrie, you know, we're definitely going to be seeing you again. And then... um, I said, I just have to tell you, I don't care whether I get this or not, but I love this show. I saw it in England, and um, I'm just so excited. I want to see it every single night. And then he, and that's when he said, Carrie, I think you will. And I got mm-hmm. cast as The Swing, and I got to see it every night. Because <laughs> The Swing isn't actually in the show. She, I mean, you understudy parts. What appealed to you about that show? Um... I thought it was. I thought it had everything. It was so funny, and you know, seeing it in London, Stephanie Lawrence. I I got to see it with her, and then I got to do it with her, and she is just such an amazing perform. Or was she's recently? I mean, she's passed since then, but um, she's she just has so much emotion, and I would take a performer. I mean, and she has an amazing voice, but I would take a performer who gets emotional and. Um, you know, doesn't hit all the notes perfectly over someone who just sings it and doesn't have any emotion behind it. And so by the end of that show, I was hysterically crying. I've never been like like screaming and, and <laughs> I've never been like that about any other show. And the, it, the British cast, you know, and maybe it was that I was in England, but the British cast is so, they were so good. So as a swing, mm-hmm. were you then able to sit in the house and actually yeah. watch the show? Yeah, I watched the show every night. And was that a learning experience for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we had the original, well, most of the original London cast came to Broadway for the uh-huh. first six months, and then we got all stars. But the British cast was amazing. Con O'Neill, because he would he would be different every night, and it was just it was a real actor's play because you know you ate the characters age from five to thirty something, and so he gave such a brilliant performance. And so I would watch them all every night and just learn from them. Well, with hindsight, with your experience now, mm-hmm. having been in a number of different Broadway shows with American actors, was there any significant difference between working with British actors versus working with American actors? Um. Well, the, the main differences are funny things. Um, because I, you know, I think we have a lot of like amazing actors here as well. I think that in England they actually do, um, like. Uh, what's the word? Um, 
you know, they play jokes on stage more often than you they mean do during here. During performance, they yeah. play jokes on each other. Yeah. That's yeah, nice. more often, more often than they do here, uh, um, and like things that are like clearly noticeable to the audience, <laughs> um, and so that was interesting, you know. And I, this is my first Broadway show out of school, and I'm like, what are they doing? You know, I was outraged <laughs> because you know I was like, this is professional theater, you can't do that. And I still don't, you know, I still don't really do that, but. By the end, uh, by the end of that run, I was doing a little bit of it <laughs> because everybody did it all the time there. It was crazy. It was kind of expected of you, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Especially whenever on anyone's last show, they would do things like strip them down on stage, or you know, the, uh, have the adults play the kids. I mean, we we were all adults playing kids, but then having like the real uh, the people who only played adults also like joining in. It was <laughs> craziness. <laughs> now I don't think I have the chronology quite right, so tell me, which was next, Beauty and the Beast or Les Mis? Uh, Beauty and the Beast. So suddenly, from being a swing in Blood Brothers, you are the leading lady of a big Broadway musical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... um it was great. Um, and I did it in Toronto. For, well, I did it in Toronto first. Mm-hmm. So we did the original Toronto production, which was actually more exciting than... Because I would have been a replacement on Broadway. But you were the first bell in Toronto. I was Toronto. the first bell in Toronto. So I got to do the opening night. And and in Toronto, they just treat you... Here, the theater doesn't get that much respect. In Toronto, it gets way more respect. Like, you're on every... Um, I did all these interviews. And when you go to a restaurant, they're like, oh, she's Belle and Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> you know, so it's a really big deal there. So it was so much fun. Um, and I love Toronto. It's a great city. Um, and the show, you know, I'm a huge Disney fan. So to get to play Belle, to get to play, you know, a great princess in Beauty mm-hmm. Beast, it was really great. And then Les Mis. Yeah. And then I got to play another one of my dream roles. This seems to be working out very well I know, for I'm you. I'm so <laughs> lucky. Because Les Mis, I actually, that was one of the shows I auditioned for when I was a little kid. I auditioned and I got to the final callback for Eponine, for the original Les Mis. And this was like one of my first auditions. Um, but I, I'm glad I didn't get it because I clearly was not ready to do that part on Broadway uh, how then. How old were you at the time? I don't know. Maybe I was I was a teenager, maybe 15. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, and I remember being so nervous, <laughs> you know, because that was a huge... And so I would listen to that song. I didn't get it, but I would listen to that song all the time when I was little. You know, you like how you, like, fall in love with someone so instantaneously. And I would just sing that song crying on my bed, like, because <laughs> that's such a good, like, teen angst song. Um, and then I got to play it on Broadway, so that was amazing. And, and I did it when... Um, after they redid it, remember they went and retooled they the show. Recast and after yes. a certain point and wanted so to really freshen was, it up. Yes, and they really did freshen it up because they didn't set, have any set blocking. So going into so I was a um, you know I was put in. I had less than ten days to learn the show and go in, and then you don't know where Marius is going to be because nothing is set. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, it's it was like really stressful, but it really was fun and spontaneous and. Just a dream role. Then who else was in the cast? Who was Valjean and who, um, who else who was in I do when it you with? were? Peter Locklear was Marius. Uh-huh. Um, Alice Ripley did it with me. She was Fontaine. Um, shoot. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I don't remember hmm. Hmm. the other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, after these big Broadway musicals, Beauty and the Beast and, and Les Mis, 
how did you come to doing an off-Broadway musical based on a story from the Weekly World News? <laughs> um, what did you say when you when someone said, "Do you want to come in and read?" Presumably, you auditioned for Bad Boy. Yeah. Uh, well, my agents really uh, had seen the, the workshops, and so they pitched me, and they said, "I'm telling you, it sounds crazy, but it's really great." And so, you know, I just trusted my agents, and you know, when I read the part, I saw that there was a lot that I could do with it, and that it was, you know, a really good part for me. So I had a lot of fun with the audition, and um, yeah, and then I ended up getting it, and and now that is one of the shows that most people come and comment to me at the stage door. It's so funny because it didn't last very long. About eight or nine months. Yeah. And we were just building up momentum when we closed because September 11th happened right down there. And, you know, there's a memorial right across the street. And people didn't want to go and be reminded because it was all the way downtown. And so it's hard for off-Broadway shows to last, you know, in any circumstances. Um but but yeah, I guess it's done in colleges all over, and the recording is really popular. So um, I'm always getting um, letters from people, you know, they're saying I'm playing Shelley and Bat Boy. Can you send me something? <laughs> What's well, the story of a, of a person half human and half bat? Yes, right? yes, uh, yeah. So Devin May played uh, the the halfway half, and you know, it's sort of like um, almost like a lot of Broadway musicals where you know the the. I don't know, awkward person or, you know, My Fair Lady where you they, they go through the My Fair Lady moment where they're training him to become like society. And um, yeah, but it's a it's a really fun show. And my character um, ends up falling in love with him. And following Bat Boy, you had the opportunity to create a role on Broadway, namely Penny Pingleton in Hairspray. Uh, when did you become involved in that show? Um, I I think they had done... I think I was involved in the third reading. I think they had done two readings before I was involved, either two or three. Um, and uh, I know one, the first reading, someone else did it, and the second reading, I think they had cut Penny out completely. And then, so then, and John Waters was like, you can't cut Penny out of the show. And so then uh, me and Jackie Hoffman, who's also in Xanadu with me, we were brought in um, for that reading. And my part was teeny tiny in the reading um, because, you know, it had been cut out and they just wanted to put Penny in there. And so, but I knew from that reading, that's, it's the only show I've ever done where I just knew it was going to be a hit and I knew that I loved it and I knew I loved playing Penny but I'd also done um, a reading of Amore, which then became uh, – they changed the name. What was that? The, no, that is, that oh, is that, what they that called it. it. You was, it was, the French name. Yes, I was, was in the French name. Yeah. Um, so uh, I had done – so I had to choose between the two parts. And in Amore, my part was bigger and I had my own song. And, um, you know, it was another uh, really good show. Um, and the part was a, a great part, but then I just said, you know what? Something about hairspray. I just, I, I don't care if I have one line. I just have to be in it. I just, I love it so much, and that was such. That was like the best decision I ever made. <laughs> well, did the part get built up? Did it? It grow did get built along up. The yeah. Way? And how did that happen? Was that was that a combination of the director and the writers and this, or things you were doing that they said, oh, let's keep that? I think that, yeah, I think it was a combination of both. I think, you know, um, Jackie, Jackie's part was really small as well, and so I think, you know, them seeing um, it, the, the parts working 
I think they start they started to write more and more for us, and and they told us they would they were going to write more and more for us, but you know you never know if you can believe that, so <laughs> you don't want to pick a role based on that. Um, and they so they definitely would add all new jokes for us and everything and, and new parts. And then they kind of let me do whatever I wanted. Like some scenes I wasn't in, Kenny wasn't in. Like when Tracy's at the dance and dancing, and I would just start doing stuff on my own, just dancing in the corner and like doing my own little puppet show underneath the chalkboard and <laughs> just like random things, just like having fun. And they ended up letting me do that. And, you know, they're like, yeah, you have fun over there. You're in it now. You're doing that. And, and they didn't say, hey, you're upstaging. Tracy? No, because <laughs> no one ever really noticed it unless I think they'd seen it like a few times or like, you know, uh, it, so it wasn't, it's not, I, I would never upstage somebody. It's always things like little things more for me and the cast to notice than the audience. So how, how did the part then grow once the show was being developed? Um, They just wrote more for us and, and they just let me, more and do. as I was doing, yeah, they just gave me more to do. And as, as I would, um, as I would do stuff, then they would let me keep it and yeah, and sometimes, sometimes they would cut stuff of mine, and then they would put it back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was a great, great process. The whole the whole experience of hairspray was amazing. I want to ask you about one specific thing in hairspray. Uh, for the twelve people listening to this program who mm-hmm. haven't seen the show, I'll be circumspect. But Penny undergoes a transformation oh, yeah. at the end, and I'm wondering how that developed. Was that always there in the script, or was that that's something that you had a hand in? No, that was always there. Um, huh. And I think that uh, maybe the, I, I mean, I I added to the, um, like the vocal, the vocalization of that transformation is more for me, but, but that was written in when I did the first one that she's kind of transforms. And you mentioned John Waters. I'm yeah. just curious as to what what interaction you had with John Waters during because he wasn't one of the authors, but he was keeping tabs on it. Oh yeah, much the he whole was time. there. He was there a lot, and I mean, he's he was so quite a nice. He's so nice. Um, just couldn't be more down to earth and friendly. Um, I saved. I have a message on my answering machine when I didn't get nominated for a Tony. He he like called and left the nicest message on my answering machine. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and he always um, sends um, really crazy Christmas cards or um, like uh, I have an ornament that he sent me. That's um, a glass ball with a fake roach in it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know like a ball that you hang on your Christmas tree. <laughs> Well, you were in Hairspray for how long then? I only did it for a year. Well, a year on Broadway. Uh And then I did it, you know, in Seattle before that. But yeah, it went by really quickly. But then I I left because they offered me Little Shop of Horrors and I couldn't turn that down. But I was so sad to leave Hairspray. And Little Shop of Horrors, of course, had been a very uh, successful off-Broadway show Mm -hmm. made into a movie as well. And in 2003, I guess it was, you were the first Broadway cast of of that show. It had never been a Broadway show. Right. So you were the original Broadway cast of Little Shop. And you yeah. played Audrey. Mm-hmm. How did you get get that role? Was that Were you cast for that while you were still in Hairspray? I was. It was all the same producers of Hairspray. Uh-huh. And so I, um, I went in for the final callback and uh, I kind of knew that, you know, I was one of the top choices and, um, you know, my audition went well. And but you still had to audition even though they knew Oh, yeah. You. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I still had to audition for sure. Mm. And, you know, there were still other girls up for the part, too. In a role like that show that was a big hit, admittedly off-Broadway, and then was preserved on film, you were playing a role that was fairly iconically attached to 
to the actress who created the role, mm-hmm. Ellen Green. And I'm wondering how much, I mean, we were asking you about Olivia Newton-John earlier, but even more so in this case, how did you n- avoid just playing into the Audrey of Ellen Green, which, as somebody who sounds like you listen to a lot of cast albums, you probably knew the material from the time you were younger. Yeah, I didn't... I had seen that show when I was younger, but I didn't really uh, know it that well. So I I wasn't influenced, like, vocally singing at all. But when I, I got offered it, my husband was like, well, you know, it's going to be really hard because you're either people are either going to say you're doing Ellen Green or they're going to say you're not doing Ellen Green and, you know, you're nowhere near Ellen Green. Mm. So he's like, you know, it's kind of a no-win situation. <laughs> 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 so, you know, I went in knowing that. And, um, you know, I just trusted Jerry Zachs, our director. And I think he had a different vision for the show. Uh, I think he wanted the show to focus more on Seymour. And that was him revamping the show. And... Um, Oh, and, uh, you know, so I just trusted him and, you know, he wouldn't let me do Ellen Green if I wanted to do Ellen Green. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, he would, he would, I would sometimes, I started out doing, um, a, a voice cause, and in the show I didn't end up doing like a character voice and I started out doing a character voice and then in the middle of rehearsals he said, no, throw it away. I want it to be, cause he really wanted it to be more real and, he wanted the com- comedy to come from just like a real person. So, you know, I just played it. Um, you know, it was actually a depressing show to do because when you're playing something so real, this is woman is so has such low self-esteem. And she, and so, you know, I would like, you know, look in my mirror and just tell yourself before the show, you're ugly or all these things. And, you know, like if you like when I live in parts, then they start affecting me personally all my parts do that. And I learn stuff from all the parts I get. And so that was a little bit hard to be in because then, you know, and so Audrey was so beaten down, um, you know, so I just played the truth of that and, you know, just let her be this really vulnerable person and not go so much for the comedy. And Well, it sounds kind of like what you were saying a little bit earlier about your own Xanadu, mm-hmm. kind of playing it as a real person yeah. rather than going for the, the slapstick right. part. Right, right, right. We've been talking about your shows here in New York and kind of the the best-known roles. One role we here in New York haven't had a chance to see you do that you've done on either side of the country was uh, in the musical version of The Opposite of Sex, which mm-hmm. you did at Williamstown and out in San Francisco as yes. well. Can, can you talk a little about that show and being in a show that was developing and that, that hasn't reached New York? Um. Well... I loved doing that show just because it's so far from me. Um, Dee Dee's really dark, really sarcastic, really um, just a bad girl, you know, and enjoys being the bad girl. And um, so, you know, it was that was empowering for me to know that I could even do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, that's the fun of being an actor is that you get to find things in your own personality that, you know, you don't really express that much and you're able to explore them and um, just able to become these different people. And uh, the show is is really good and it was really well received in, in both places. And I think actually it is coming to New York without me because I'm doing Xanadu. Hmm. It's supposed to come off Broadway maybe next season. But um, so... Uh, 
you know, we'll see. And, you know, I, I wanted to come because it is a good show and I love all the people involved with it. But yeah, that has been like a roller coaster because, um, you know, after San Francisco, it was like you're going to Broadway and then, you know, we didn't. And and then, you know, we did Williamstown and, you know, so uh, it was um, it's a great experience. And um, and it's it's another show that, like, I would never think would be made into a musical, but it works really well. And like peop- it, it scans the gamut of who. Um, enjoys it like my parents who I would I warned them before they came I was like you guys um, it's very <laughs> I take off my um, bathing suit in it you know my back is to the audience but <laughs> but still I was like really nervous and um, my parents loved it <laughs> so it's funny well it's interesting in looking at your bio you even list workshops and you know, mm-hmm. new music. Obviously, you've done new musicals. You've done a lot of workshops and readings, like so many actors do. And we've we've never asked on this program. You know, what is that that drives people to constantly be doing, sometimes for very little money, all of this new material? Because you've done you've done so many different shows. Well, to do the workshops as an actor, you really have to do them because that's how they get cast, you know what I mean? And so you want to be in on the ground level when something's being done Um, because a lot of times, you know, they'll have the auditions, but if you can get in there, then, you know, they'll always think of you for the role. But this year, before Xanadu, I did so many shows and then didn't get the parts. (laughs) Um, I did almost every show on Broadway (laughs) that has a female part. I probably did the reading. I was involved at some point, like as a reading or workshop. And I was like, what is happening? You know, I'm not getting any of these parts. And it was just like letdown after letdown. And it's so funny because had I gotten those parts, they were high profile shows. I probably would have taken them over Xanadu. And Xanadu is you know, like a career-making role for me, and I wouldn't have taken it had I gotten those other parts. So everything, like, works out for a reason, you know? It's called fate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we talked before that you were doing commercials when you were three years of age. Mm-hmm. You're married. You have a daughter. Yes. Would you let her do commercials? Are you pushing I her I would let her, but it's like a full-time job for the parents, uh-huh. so I don't want her. I don't, I don't want to do that, that job. How, how old is she now? She is two next week. Two next week. So mm-hmm. she's not quite old. Well, she could do baby commercials. Oh, yeah. No, she could definitely do commercials. And she is a little actress. Uh-huh. She definitely, um, she def- they would definitely want her. <laughs> M- must be in the genes then, a little actress. Well, she's adopted. So uh-huh. maybe it's uh, comes, <laughs> you know, from uh, environment. Nature versus nurture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just the atmosphere. Yeah. Well, Carrie, I think, you know, that's probably a good point to, to say uh, thanks for being with us today on Downstage Center. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.